Oh, yeah. Welcome to Kayak Fishing Obsessed, the KFO show, guys. If you love kayak fishing or fishing in general, you're in the right place. I got Matt Guthrie from Headwaters Adventure Company tonight. We are going to take a deep dive on deep water reservoir fishing. And so I am pretty pumped about that. I see him in the green room now. Guys, you're, you're going to see this in a second, but he has like 50 jigs and baits he's going to take a deep dive on for us i am absolutely jacked but before we get there i got some news for you first want to give a shout out to the sponsor of the show usrivermaps.com if you're on the podcast right now and you've never been to us river maps head over there guys this guy just jeff he's a listener i found if you if you listen to the show before um you heard me talk about it a lot but uh, if you're on the podcast you're not going to be able to see this but this is some of his work um he does hydrological maps they look freaking sweet and I have one right behind me um, of Ohio and everybody I have on the show. If you've been on their live shows, you'll see maps in the, their background because Jeff does maps for them. So if you're on the podcast interested in a piece of artwork like this, get $35 off. That is the coupon code if you go over there. And Jeff, uh, he just texted me this morning. He's like, hey, man, my printer's down. I'm a little bit behind, um, but I will get to these for those who are interested in them. So thank you, Jeff. Also wanted to, um, here in a month, guys, the Knucklehead Bass Fishing Series kicks off. If you haven't heard about that before, um, it's a tournament where you can win a chance to fish on my team as we face off against Fluke Master, Hoover, Creek Fishing Adventures, Alex Rudd, Fishing with Gramps on Veterans Day weekend. So if you're interested in that tournament and the chance to win, it's a really low entry fee of $15. And really quick, let's head over here. Here's already people already fishing in May. Um, we got Ben Smith, Bill Alton, Brian Converse, Calvin Johnson, Colton Cox, Don Butler, Eric Barzak, Aaron Blank, Jesse Kisner, Tyler Gallagher, and I have this banner, so I can't see the rest of them. Suzanne Tyson and Tammy Sanchez. If you want to fish in that tournament, it's a CPR tournament, starts in May. So go ahead and sign up for that. Uh, I will throw the link sometime in the, in the comments here in a little bit. Um, but if you already signed up for that, Thank you so much. It's going to be it's gonna be a blast. So pumped about that. All right, let's get here. We got some more news for you. Uh, oh, tonight I am instituting something different that you've never seen before. This is going to be the Cast Cray giveaway. So we had Cast Cray on the show just a few weeks ago, and uh, loved him so much. He's only like 15 minutes down the road from me, and so we had breakfast together. And he took me over to a shop, and this is what we're going to do for you. If I get anybody on the live show to become a YouTube channel member, we're going to give you a $10 gift card to cascray.com. So if you're interested in that, I think like my lowest tier is like $2 a month. <laughs> so you already get almost the entire year's value back right away. So if you're interested in that, um, I will go ahead and uh, it, all you gotta do, it's gotta be, it's gotta be live though. Can't be outside of live. So if you want to join, I think there's a way to do that through YouTube. Uh, I'm not on that interface. I'm on a di different interface, but would love for you to be a channel member. I kind of go the extra mile for you and a bunch of different perks that typical viewers aren't able to see. And so it's my way of just saying thank you. And, you know, some, some, some sneak peeks to a lot of the shows and stuff. And a lot of the videos that I have uh, that are coming out in like weeks ahead, you get to see those early and a bunch of other stuff. So this is an interactive show. So if you have questions for Matt or myself, please throw those in the comments below and we will get those answered for you. But enough with the news, Matt from Headwaters Adventure Company. My man, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. You know what? It. This is great. If you guys can see this, if you're not on the podcast, he has got a smorgasbord of <laughs> baits that we are going to dive into. 
And so, but first, as always, if you're part of the show, I love to hear people's stories, right? Yeah, they, they're going to lay some um, some truth on us and hopefully give us some tips and tricks and hopefully catch some bass in places that maybe we're not familiar or maybe a technique or maybe using lures we're not familiar with. But I think it makes it, it, it brings it home for me when I know the person a little bit. So tell us a little bit about your story. I know you're telling me a little bit about it in the green room, but tell us, tell us how you got to where you are today. Not, well, uh, I was working at a sporting goods store and I absolutely hated it. I was an obsessed fisherman for a long time, kind of fell out of it uh, from when I was young and got into skateboarding. And then as I started getting older again, I just, you know, redoubled back into that. But I went to buy a fishing kayak at our sporting goods stores. They had the cheap ones and I wasn't really into what those were. So I called uh, our local kayak shop. Our closest real one was in Lodi at the time. I was living in Sacramento. And uh, I went down there. I told him I wanted something for oceans, rivers, and lakes. He's like, I think I got the perfect one for you. Come on in. It's a demo, so it'll be cheaper. So I went in and uh, the guy's name is Dan. I'm sure if you guys watch kayak videos, you've probably seen Dan from Headwaters Kayak. And uh, I walked in, he showed me the boat. And the weird thing was after he sold it to me, he made me made me go out back and do my own rigging on it. So I put an anchor trolley on my own boat, like right after I bought it and I was back there like, this is kind of weird. And uh, before I left, he was like, you're really passionate about this. Do you want to work here with us? And I was like, yeah, that's what, what I'm doing now. And uh, <laughs> so that worked out. And I've been working in a kayak shop since it's been about it's roughly nine years now. Um, that kayak shop, Headwaters Kayak, did close down with COVID. There yeah. is Headwaters Kayak as far as uh, distribution, not distribution. Uh, he's a rep for uh, many different kayak companies and other water sports companies. And he still does his YouTube videos, his reviews and things like that. So definitely check him out at Headwaters Kayak. And then I'm working at Headwaters Adventure now, which is long story short, kind of connected, not the same shop, but uh, we're up here in Redding, California. And yeah, still still doing it. It's as close as I wanted to get to a real job. It's nice working somewhere where I get to bring my dog to work. We're selling people fun. Everybody's happy to come see you. And that's not what I can say about every other job out there. Uh, I'm into that. I hear you there. Um, real quick, for those of you who don't know where Redding is, and we're going to be talking about where he fishes, which is right around right around there. This is Redding, kind of <laughs> Northern California. And what is it? Lake Shasta there. There's Shasta, what, Whiskey Town. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Yeah, we got a river. There's a bunch of good lakes. And so the, the river's underrated. And I don't know how many people you got watching from over here. But uh, so on the river, like I said, I was telling you in the green room, it's world-class trout fishing. Like the trout fishing is absolutely incredible. And I'm multi-species. I don't care what it is. If it wants to bite, it wants to wiggle, I'm game. Uh, but there's spots, largemouth and smallmouth and crossbreeds all in the river up here too that nobody utilizes. And if you could figure them out, I've got seven pound bass out of the river here. I got a six pound spot and four pound smallmouth. And that's yeah, literally in the backyard and nobody utilizes it. What, why? Why? Makes me mad. Because they're all fly fishing. Everybody up here is fly fishing for trout, like 90% of them. Really? Which it's fun. I do that too. But you, they're you know, huge. Like so, you told me they're all catch and release. And so they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. So you'll see a lot with like hook marks in them, um, but they're absolutely gorgeous fish. And you get a lot of variety in the different colors. Uh, they consider them all steelhead since they're over 16 inches, a lot of them. But my biggest one right now is probably 23, 24 inches. And it was built like a cinder block with a tail. Like it was just a rectangle and then down to a tail. And Chunker. it was the burliest trout I've ever caught. It was awesome. That is amazing. All right. So you're, the unique thing about you and you've been working in a shop. So you see every piece of gear, just about every kayak. 
you've been in the industry for such a long time. And so if you ever wanted to ask a question to someone uh, of those who are listening in, now's the time to ask that question for someone who's seen it all. Um, sure. and we'll, because you you sell, let's talk about kayaks for a second before we hop into deep water reservoir fishing, because we're going to we're gonna spend a little bit of time there. But I noticed on the website, you sell crescents, feel freeze, mm -hmm. sea streams, hobies, old towns, three waters. Um, I'm curious, and I'm not asking you to say which one's better, but how, how do they different, right? Because most of us probably never, never, I mean, we've probably seen crescents. We've been the best pro shops, but sea streams and three waters and stuff like that. For those who have never put our eyes on one, what are, what are the differentiating kind of factors or what are they known for? Walk us through some of those. So, I mean, biggest thing is drive quality. Uh, in a lot of your entry level prices, the quality of the drive, it, it's not as smooth. Like it's not going to break down on you, but it's either going to be a heavier drive. It's not going to be nearly as quick, or there's going to be a little bit more resistance when you're pedaling, things like that. Mm. Uh, but as far as drives themselves, I would say the prop drive and the fin drive. I mean, those are the two. Ho Hobie's got the fin drive cornered, and there are other companies that make them now. Uh, um, uh, Vibe Kayaks has a fit, sort of fin drive as well as Pelican. Um, okay. I still – the Hobies are bulletproof, and if anything does go wrong, warranty-wise, they're really good as well. Uh, I will say I worked with Native a lot as well at the kayak shop in uh, Reading, yeah. and so – awesome kayaks uh the drive does require maintenance so that's something that you'd want to keep up on if you get a native um they're great drives but you do want to depending on how much you fish if you're going out three times a week you want to put new grease in it every six months or so which is not hard to do but it's just something you want to keep up on yeah. um, then the old towns uh they've also got a prop drive cool thing about their drive is it floats i have had to go scuba diving for people's what? drives before yes so and i was impressed we took it through in the water and it floats pretty high so it's not something that's going to be pretty much subsurface but not quite sank it was actually something you could keep an eye on so that was cool um they've got some cool boats um I, I think really what sets hobie apart is features their fishing features specific their boats are so well thought out that i mean from the horizontal rod stagers to the way your seat adjusts to i mean your track system or the h-rail system hobie's really really dialed in in features and something that they do that and none of the other to my knowledge um prop driven drives do is the left and right hand steering control. Not all of their boats have it, but the Outback and the Pro Angler. And that's the biggest thing for me personally, because uh, like probably many of you, you're probably bait casting on one side and spinning reel on the other. I have gotten used to uh, fishing both hands. Uh, I used to buy cheap reels on Facebook just so I could get cheap stuff. I'd tear it apart, fix it, lube it, clean it, put it back together and then use them or sell them. So I'm pretty ambidextrous, but long story short, you set the hook here and you're reeling on this side, your handle needs to be on that side for you to do stuff. Cause if you have to do this and mess with it here, it's way harder. So yeah. having a handle on both sides, I think is probably one of the biggest things in a pedal kayak. Uh, there's tons of good paddling kayaks out there too. I think Crescent's one of the top of the line, but when I say that there's lots of other boats, um, your performance and paddleability to your stability is where they really differ. So uh, something like the feel free is actually what I started. My first kayak was the Moken 12 and a half. And I got it again, cause I want to do oceans, rivers, lakes. I took that thing absolutely everywhere. I caught sharks out of that boat. We were on catfish at midnight or not. Uh, we were on clear lake at midnight catching, you know, 13 pound, 15 pound catfish. Uh, I had it down this Delta sat down the American river, down the Sacramento river. It's like, that is a boat that you could do anything on a little bit slower, easier to stand in. And that's where you get a lot of your 
who are you selling it to or, or how do you fish? If you're not going to be standing a lot, something like the Crescent is a more efficient paddling kayak or something like the Feel Free, I would say, is the more stable kayak. But then you get into primary stability and secondary stability. And it's, it, I wouldn't say it gets complicated, but it's something you definitely want to think about. Is we get guys my size that like, I need the most stable kayak. And when you do, you're not getting something that moves through the water well. Mm. Like one, a, a very popular kayak uh, from Three Waters is the Big Fish. They've got the uh, 105 and the 120. If you were worried about stability, that is the boat for you. doesn't paddle super fast. It's not as efficient, but it can carry a lot of weight. And if you're a larger guy, it's a great yeah. boat. But again, I get guys my size. I'm 5'10", 170 pounds. It's not necessary. And you lose so much performance in going with something like that. Like it's definitely got its spot. There's some people who would prefer that or need that. But definitely if you're thinking about buying a kayak, think about your own balance, your own size. And then I personally say, go with the most efficient thing and learn to be stable in it. When I first started, I took the kayak out uh, without fishing gear and I stood up and then I stood up and paddled. And then I took one rod out next time and I stood up and paddled and I'd cast. And the scariest thing standing up in a kayak uh, is the hook set because I have almost thrown myself out of the kayak a handful of times <laughs> on a little over-enthusiastic hook sets. <laughs> oh, you mentioned the uh, propel drive. I have a native slayer propel tab, okay. and a bona fide P127, both of which take the propel drive. Um, and if you are worried about that, any of the maintenance stuff, I have it's like a six series video series on how to maintain that stuff. It's fairly easy. And if you like working mm -hmm. with your hands, that's a solid one to get bulletproof uh, pedal drive. So that thing's freaking rocks. All right, guys, I got a question here for you. Um, let me see. I got them all starred. Da -da 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 -da. Lost in tackle. So there's no maintenance on the Hobie drive? Question mark. When I first started working with the Hobies, I asked like, is I asked the same thing. Is there maintenance on Hobie drives? And he's like, is, there, is it doing anything? No, don't mess with it. That's what uh -huh. I was told. They do sell a specific Hobie lubricant, and that's about the only thing I would put on it. If you're fishing in the salt, rinse it off with warm, fresh water when you're done. But besides that, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's kind of the gist that I've gotten with the Hobies. Um, with a lot of use, eventually you can have some uh, like bearings wear out those get replaced. But for the most part, if you're not having issues with it, it's not a, a constant upkeep. Yeah. All right. Uh, Shane JSOJ says laugh out loud at a big fish 120. It's a tank, but I love it. I mean, really what you're looking at when, when you say I want more stability, what you're saying is I want a fatter boat, right? Generally. I mean, you got the whole um, type. Then, yeah. I was going to say that one's got a tri hole design. So that yeah. kind of captures the air. So when you push, it does not want to go anywhere. Uh, again, if stability is your thing, especially if you're not traveling long distance in it, that's a great boat. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're all, they all fit their place. Kind of like our fishing rods, kayaks, not one does everything perfect. You've got to have 20 different rods to do everything perfect. Yeah. Right on. Bucktail says same. How do I make kayak more stable? Me learn to be more stable, right? Seat time, seat time, seat time. Seat so. time is a big thing. Um, I am not a big fan of putting pontoons or outriggers on boats. Uh, I have done it for people. I, I do a lot of, or I do all of the rigging and installs here. Um, I'm not a big fan of them. If you're a really big guy and you need it, do it. But if it's something that you're still pretty new to your boat, seat time, take it out without your gear, learn what you, the boundaries of your own kayak are. Cause that's the biggest thing. Go out and flip it. Depending on where you are, if the water's warm enough, uh, go out and flip it and get back into it and just see where your edges are. Cause I was talking earlier about the Crescent kayaks. Um, the only kayak that I actually own because I do get to play with all the toys is their little 10 foot ultralight. And 
I have a video on YouTube of that with the Headwaters Adventure Company that I'm working at now. And I'm standing on one foot on one side of the kayak with water coming in over the side of it and it's still not turning over. Mm. So there's a spot where you're safe. You just have to learn where they are. And the reason I kind of did that is I was in the Hobie Pro Angler and I was doing a lot of fishing out of that last year. And then I went to a small pond and I took my little boat out there and I had a seven pounder on and I lifted up the run. I reached over for it and the boat turned so far that the side of my pant leg got wet and I was able to and center myself and not turn it over. And that's where I was like, that's your secondary stability. How much can you get away with before you flip? Do you guys sell, do you sell bona fides there? We don't. Uh, so Bonafides and uh, Natives, they come out of the same distribution. Right. And we sold them when I was in Lodi, but here at this store, we don't. It's hard to carry every brand because they're all sure. competing with each other, which they're all good stuff. Like I said, they all fit uh, their niches and everybody loves their own, you know, whatever you might be partial to. But it's just hard to carry absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, now, you mentioned a second ago that you said, hey, I'm not a big fan of outriggers, uh, but you didn't share why. Uh, it makes your kayak slower. Again, efficiency. Uh, me personally, I lean towards more efficiency and less stability. Yeah. Okay. That was all. They, they work great. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, Count 22, got a question for you. Any tips or suggestions for fighting the wind? Uh, it all it depends, again, what boat you're in. Like the uh, pro, or not the pro angler, the um, big fish 120 in the wind. It's not much you can do about it. Uh, the whole design of your boat is going to matter a lot, a little bit of rocker. So kind of that banana shape that you get, that's going to either ride over or through the waves a little bit better. Uh, but for fighting the wind, man, get a light paddle. Uh, another thing you could do. So the offsets on the paddles, I never, ever use them unless it's really windy. And then I will set it as far as it goes. So when you take a paddle stroke on one side, the blade is actually cutting through the wind on your top side instead of catching wind on the back side of it. It's the little thing, folks. The little things. I was going to say, I, I hate explaining things. I'm more visual. I can run and grab a paddle. But uh, definitely, if it's real windy, change your offset and watch how you're paddling. It'll it'll help a bit. Yeah. All right. Got a few more questions. I want to we're gonna hop into the, the meat of this uh, live show and talk about deep water fishing. But mainstream fishing, what is this? What is this comment? JT, fishing with Gramps, just signed up for your team on the Knucklehead Tournament. You're killing me. Killing me over here. I need someone to... Uh, if you like to lose mainstream, that's fine. You can go over to fishing with Gramps um, team. I'll see you. I'll see you down there in Veterans Day weekend. Uh, all good fun. All the people we're fishing against are like friends of mine. So this is going to be. That's great. Really if you time. can't talk a little shit, it's not as much fun. <laughs> I don't say J, uh, JT was here a second ago. I don't. I saw him hop in, but he must hop back out. All right. I got a question for Army Outdoors. He says, suggestions for someone who wants a good beginner kayak as a backup or alternative to fishing out of a boat. Uh, first thing I would ask uh, would be a height and weight. Uh, and then again, I would kind of point you towards if you're not looking for pedals, if you're just going to do something that you're going to go out and paddle and use now and then, I would check out the Crescents and the Feel Freeze. Uh, yes, it's what we carry, but as far as use, I've used a lot of kayaks. And I think those two really fit a good uh, section for beginners. So again, your Crescents are going to be a little more efficient if you feel you need a little extra stability. The um, Feel Freeze are great. They've got the Lure, which has a highly adjustable seat. And again, the Mokin, less adjustable, but that's going to be your more do-everything boat. Yeah. All right. Solid. And one last question here before we hop into Deepwater Reservoir. Two-part question for Matt from Appa Angler. Was it awkward, and how long did it take you to get used to the Hobie pedal drive? I know it is more of a pumping action with your feet rather than you know, that typical rotation, the bike pedal type deal. 
That, that is actually a great question because, uh, so like I said, the first shop that I worked at, we carried natives, like that was our pedal drive boat. And so I spent a lot of time in the Slayer 10 because that was one of my favorite boats for the Delta, 60 pounds. Oh, yeah. In the Delta, they try to make you uh, pay boat launch fees for your kayaks, which is ridiculous and I'm cheap. <laughs> so I would park on the levee, take my 60 pound boat, walk it down the levee, put it in and go. Um, I love that boat. Anyways, going to that, to the Hobie, so they do have the reverse, but it's on a pull cord. And right. what I kept finding that I would get into, especially fishing in the river, is I'd be coming up to an obstruction. And my first thought in like uh, a native is pedal backwards quickly. Right. But in the Hobie, it was just pedal quickly. Oh, no, I need to pull this cord because I started shooting at what I didn't want to go at. And so you'd have to sit there, pull it, and then pedal back even harder. Uh, it's a hard transition at first. After you go out a handful of times, uh, I'd say three, four times, you adjust to it just fine. As far as the pedal system themselves, some people will like one more than the other as far as like ergonomics. Uh, I, again, I've used them both and I don't really have a preference. I'm just out there to fish, whatever gets me to my spot. Yeah. Uh, it does take a little adjustment, but both drives work extremely well. Okay. A few times out in the water, you figure it out. And be, uh, like most things, yeah. becomes second that, nature. That cool cord becomes it. second nature. That, uh, you just stop thinking about it and you can pull it. Yeah. All right. Well, here, I'm going to circle back because you asked for height and weight. Army Outdoors, six yeah. one two twenty. Does that change your answer? Uh, no, again, um, so both of the boats have plenty of weight capacity. I would look at the um, the Light Tackle 2 is Crescent's new fishing boat. It's got a high and low seat. You're definitely in the right range for that. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more efficient. If you felt you wanted a little bit more stability, I'd still send you to that Moken Lure area as far as a paddling kayak. There's always different options once you go towards pedals, but I think that'd be a great place to start, do some research, and you're welcome to call into the shop. And uh, we talk to people all over the U.S. because Dan, uh, when I was working at Headwaters Kayak in Lodi, he was the person they would go to for information now that his shop isn't there and we still have the Headwaters name. Uh, mm -hmm. People call us, and again, I've been doing it for a while, so people sometimes... You can only do so much with YouTube and doing your own research. Sometimes you need somebody's opinion who's been out and on it. Yeah, I need a human to talk to, please. Yeah. Actually converse with, not just listen to. Totally get that. Exactly. And the last question on fishing kayaks comes from me. Now, I'm always fascinated with someone who has access to so many kayaks. Which one do you own? The only one that I personally own is the Crescent Ultralight. That is my quick, I got an hour, I'm going to chuck it on my car and go. It's 49 pounds. Um, I don't remember the 49? 49 pounds. It's only a 10-foot boat. Throw but that under your I, arm. Huh? You can just throw oh, yeah. it under your arm and like walk with it. Yeah. And that boat too, again, my, I like to think my balance is pretty good. But I've brought like my whole, maybe not tournament setup, but I've brought all my gear, six, seven rods out, and I stand and fish out of that thing. And it's a little squirrely, but again, it all depends on your own personal balance. Um, but usually that's my like pond boat or I've got a short time or if I'm fishing the river and I bring in a uh, rod or two for trout and a rod or two for bass, like it's simple. It's easy. Uh, I gravitate towards uh, convenience. Yeah. All right. And I guess uh, so last year I was doing a handful of kayak fishing tournaments. And when I was doing the tournaments, I was in the pro angler 12. Sounds like a comfy boat. I need to get myself in one of those. That seat is second to none of the pro anglers. I will say, I think that's probably the best seat on the market. My wallet started crying. I keep, you know, it's one of those things. I got a demo one right now. <laughs> I'll be right over. We'll sell a demo one. <laughs> oh, love it, love it. All right, here, I got a comment from Army. He said, I like getting all kinds of suggestions. I'm sorry. I'm on Gramps' team, too. But I'm a U.S. Army soldier, and we are veteran brothers. Hey, you know what? 
I can appreciate Thanks. that. Thanks I for your service. That. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's the thing. Gramps starts next month and only goes four months. And so if you don't make it on anybody's team, my last tournament month is August. And so y'all, if you don't, if you don't win a, t a chance to be on anybody else's team, you can sign up for mine as well. All right, we're going to switch gears here and we're going to spend the remainder of our time. Yes. Yes. Deep water reservoir fishing. And I want to first start with Morgan Smith. He's got a question for you. Kind of get us kicked off here. So what depth classifies a lake or reservoir as deep water reservoir? You laugh. I'm curious why. <laughs> That's a question to me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I grew up and I was fishing around the Delta um, a lot. Or like that was where a lot of my bass fishing was. So I had not caught a bass out of like 20 feet plus ever until I moved up here. Yeah. And there, uh, down there we had Lake Comanche too, which I'd say is a deep water reservoir. Um, but again, I, I, you know, we'd go fish shallow. I, it's, it's what I prefer. That's why this is kind of a fun thing. Cause uh, the last two years I've really had to adapt to, fish to, to catch them out here and it's not doing what i love to do oh I, jigs are my favorite thing but it's not how i personally prefer to fish them but i figured it out enough to put fish in the boats and that all again depends on time of year but um i mean last year i was catching fish down into 80 feet with jigs and i don't Jeez. like to do it but i can that's that's the thing is i don't want to but i can now wow 80 so feet deep, i'd say is 20 to 80 let's I say i don't know if we have a, a lake 80 feet deep in ohio um, okay. I was just I mean, down in Tennessee and it is a unique way of fishing, right? It goes steep and it goes fast off the banks. I'm usually, mm -hmm. I'm usually fishing shallow, fishing lilies. There's no such thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, even that, the do nothing banks, I like target casting, you know, Delta wood, weeds, reeds, rocks, uh, the do nothing banks and the steep bluff walls, bluff walls were weird to figure out. It, it took a while. <laughs> well, but let's, uh, where, where do we start? Where My goodness. Start. Yeah. Um, well, um, let's, what's this, what's this continue in the vein of the conversation? Um, how, when you hop on a deep water reservoir, tell me mm -hmm. what you're looking for. Where are you going first before we hop into like uh, the tactical? So everybody's got graphs and most graphs have maps. Uh, first thing that I'm looking for, it also depends on a little bit time of year, you know, as uh, spring's coming up and they're heading towards spawn, you're looking for bays that they're going to gravitate towards. And so if you're searching, you'll look at the points and the other contours that you might see the, the, on a steep bluff wall. If you have something that's really, really steep and changes contours quick, and then a, a nice flat spot or something that's tapering up a lot more slowly, they want that change. And it's a great place to look if they're going from that real deep water haunts. Like I said, some of these will live out in 80 feet throughout the winter uh, and then start moving up either up vertically or moving up towards the flat where they're going to gradually move up. Um, I like points. Uh, fish are always on points. That's kind of the first place that I usually start. I also have a bad problem is I can't wait to get to my spot. So I was like, oh, I'll make a cast here. I'll make a cast there. So that'll give me a clue sometimes too uh, if I hook up sooner. Uh, but most of the time, if I had one place to start, start on a point, uh, your jigs, you can fish them in zero feet of water. You can fish them in over a hundred feet of water. It's they're very versatile and you don't need a whole lot. You could have one or two color jigs in a handful of sizes and cover all of your bases. And just like the kayaks and fishing rods, they're not going to do everything perfect, but it would cover your bases. So I absolutely suck at jig fishing. I mean, <laughs> abysmal. I have a ton of them, right? But when I do throw them, I just, I, I'm, I, I even know how to fish them, but maybe I'm, I, I don't know. I'm doing something wrong. Sounds so, like a confidence issue. <laughs> yeah, it is. A, I have confidence baits. They're definitely not jigs. So, but I, I, you know, as they say, 
jigs catch pigs, and I know they do. That's and so not true. They catch it, big it, fish, but they catch tiny fish. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, fair enough. So I walk me through. It depends what size jig you're throwing, I guess. Well, lay it on us. Take us through. Give us the give us the seminar. Okay. Uh, I will. So a lot of the lakes up here are spotted bass lakes. So that kind of makes a difference in your picking your jigs. Uh, and that was another hard thing for me to adjust to because this was my standard jig uh, when I was fishing in the Delta. This is a big mop jig. It's a full silicone living rubber skirt. And then I'd put either like a full size brush hog or this is the kinky beaver from Reaction Innovations. But it's big. I mean, not quite the size of your fist, but not far from it, where your standard size jig is something more like that guy, which is also a living rubber skirt. So that makes a pretty good comparison. Uh, so coming up here, uh, I had to kind of downsize. Um, the fishing yeah, it like isn't it. all that different. Uh, but where I'd start too, and I, I call these jigs too, and maybe some of you won't agree with me, but get yourself some football heads, some bare football heads, and get hula grubs. Um, I think that's the best way to start. And that's honestly one of the things I use the most, the Gary Yamamoto five inch hula grub. This thing is money everywhere. I will use it largemouth, smallmouth, spotted bass. It does not matter where you go. The fish eat it. They have it in a four inch and a five inch. Uh, Kitech makes some cool ones. I think they're called spiders. They make them in a three inch, some itty bitty things. You got really clear water, really pressured water. I like the five. Um, I'll use anywhere. Uh, the hula grub? Yeah. Oh, I'm making you open up a package. My bad. Uh, it's not a fresh pack. I go through these all pretty right, regularly. Right. <laughs> mm. And which ones are these again? The hula hula grubs? No. What was that? Are these hula grubs that we're showing us? Yes, this is the the Yamamoto hula grub. And I'll you talk about little tips and tricks, and you might again think I'm crazy, but I got turned onto this. But the, the hula grub grub is a pretty simple bait. It's got two kicking legs, and they are attached together right now. You have to break those, so always break them before you start fishing them. Sorry, there we go. And then it's got a skirt on top that's molded in, and it's quite a bit more finesseful than these big skirts that are on your other baits. And there's no weed guard, so that's going to be a thing too. They do sell just standard football heads with weed guards. Um, one of the things that I suggest, and you might think I'm crazy, you might think it doesn't matter, but right here on the leg, there is a little emblem for their mold, the Yamamoto Bates mold. And you want to have that with your hook point coming up. So the side that the, the molded stamp is on, it has an up and down. If you break these legs apart, that is how they're going to point up. And because they've been sitting in the bag funny, one's pointed back, but this is going to point up straight. If you rig it the other way, they're down and they don't kick quite right. And you might think I'm crazy, but we fish this side by side and it actually makes a difference. All right. But hey. um, the hula grub is, if you are overwhelmed by jigs, pick up one of these and a pack of jig heads and go to town. Like they eat them everywhere. Uh, they have tons of different colors. I usually stay with green pumpkin. And if the water's a little bit dirty, I spike the tips with spike it. That's about it. Okay. It, it could be a crawdad. It could be a bluegill. It could be whatever you like. It just plain gets eaten. Uh, but green pumpkin black flake is my go-to. I will say your football head does matter. So this one is one of the uh, Gamagatsu ones. And I really like that because where the point of the hook is compared to the hook eye. So as long as you have a good gap, your hookup ratios are incredible, incredible. This is a little hand pour from a company up here in a three quarter ounce, but I actually took bend the hook and tipped it up a bit. On a lot of these hand pours and a lot of other companies, your hook is pointing too close to that eye and on your hook set, you'll miss fish. So 
especially a hand pour, I look to see where the eye of the hook is compared to the tip. And if it's too close, I'll bend it up ever so slightly. And that way, when you set the hook, it goes right into the roof of the mouth. So like that's four degrees, I, right? Huh? And so yeah. instead it. of straight, like 45, like a frog, like, right? Yeah. Kind of like bending the frog hooks up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So just that little bit, it makes a huge difference. And it makes it from where you're really trying to jack them really hard to where you can reel and pull like crankbait bite, which is mm. cool. Especially when you're fishing deep, you've got a lot of line out. So just that if they pick it up, just crank, 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 crank. And as that little rod's loading up, you just turn into them, they're stuck. And especially when you're fishing deep, uh, say like the 80 feet, that's what I was catching them on. And I don't want to crank them up or they're going to expand and could die, but they definitely don't feel good afterwards. So I'd hook them. And as long as you've got... Uh, I actually use, try to use something a little bit more parabolic. So I'll stick them and I'll just slowly reel them if they're out in 80 feet. So I don't kill them. Uh, again, probably not what you do for a tournament, but we were just out fun fishing. So yeah. Well, pause real fast. Uh, let's, let's stop for one second here. Um, mm -hmm. I lost in tackle. <laughs> I am highly interested. I'm not frozen. I, you're right. And I didn't move at all when he was talking all the time. Cause I was just listening. <laughs> um, but do you fizz, do you fizz your, your fish since you catch it too deep? To. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I, I try not to. So real quick, for those of us don't fish that deep, right? If you're in kind of northeast, explain what fizzing a fish is and when you uh, do it and why maybe you don't do it as often if you don't have to type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it really So um, fizzing fish has to do with their swim bladder. If you bring them up from really deep water really, really fast, the air in their swim bladder expands and you'll see it start to come out of their mouth. Their eyes will bulge out of their head. And uh, it hurts them a lot. If you have a descender, you could send them back down. But if you've ever seen a fish that has had a swim bladder come out, their eyes will start to bug out. And I assume they get some damage, not that we haven't caught blind fish, but try not to hurt the fish when you don't have to. Um, but uh, what happens is if you hook them and reel them up very slowly, which is what I try to do, again, it's different if you're in a tournament situation. If you're in a tournament, you're probably going to jack them and crank them in as fast as you can. But if you do it slowly, the swim bladder has time to adjust and won't expand. Uh, if you do burn them in, it's going to expand and you take uh, basically a needle and you put it just past uh, the front dorsal fin, not dorsal fin, side fin forgetting my fin names, but you put it through there. Some people will do it uh, in the swim bladder where they see it coming out of the mouth, but it'll mm. just release the air. You have a pinhole in the fish and then they, when you release them, can swim back down. And if you put them in a live well, they won't die. Cause if you have that uh, fish that has expanded in your live well, it will die. Yeah. Wow. Um, crazy. And, uh, oh, neat thing to think about too. My buddy told me this, he's fishing a standard jerk bait over a flat in like 40 feet and he had to fizz a fish and they only go down like six feet. It's because that fish shot up all the oh, way fast. from the deck to grab it. And then he hooked it and brought it to the boat and he had to fizz that fish, even though he, his lure was only down in like six feet of water. That Just is crazy. <laughs> no, I did a little research on this prior to the show because I was out in a Tennessee reservoir just last week, um, freezing cold outside, only caught a few, but, um, the, the boat owner was like, Hey, we're going to fizz a fish. And I was like, what are you talking about? Um, and so this is a research on it and that can happen, right? They can they jump up from the depths really fast to grab a meal. Mm -hmm. um, but also I heard it could even happen to like just 20 feet. Like I haven't had that happen, but it wouldn't surprise me. I usually think of it as kind of like 40 feet and less. Mm -hmm. Um, it, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but in scuba diving, you can go down to, uh, 30 feet and come straight back up to the top without having any issues. Once you go past that, you actually have to acclimate yourself as you come back up. So maybe it has to do something with like that. I'm sure. no scientist. No, me either. And it probably, you know, 
someone might have been like, oh, I had to fish a fish, you know, is it 20 feet? Well, we don't know where it came from, right? Did it come from 40? Through, yeah. yeah. And so their scientific method might have been a little flawed. Um, and then we read it and take it as truth. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah, right. For sure. All right, man, we got the smorgasbord of questions. Um, oh, oh, okay. All right, here we go. Let me see. We were talking about jigs a bit ago. And question for Matt, where would you, where would the thermocline be at an average on your lake's foot range? I would say generally in that 30 to 30 foot-ish. So depending on the lake, Whiskey Town, it stays like 15 foot year round. The thermocline is really weird there because it has a constant feed of cold water coming into it. Mm. Um, on lakes that have a chance to warm up more, I would say they're usually around 30, 40 feet. All right, right on. Let me see what else here. Oh, it's kind of a personal personal question. I mean, personal fishing. Appa angler, is the hula jig first in your arsenal when you're thrown out? I, it's first or second. I go back and forth with that. And um, this this is a hand poured jig uh, from somebody out here. And I'll go back and forth between them. I fish them the exact same way. If I'm not getting hit on one, I move to the other. I, I kind of go back and forth. So uh, it's definitely up there. Either that or this will be tied onto my rod, uh, especially right. with the spotted bass. If, if there's more largemouth in the lake, I'm probably going to put something a little different on. Uh, but the hula grub or another jig is always going to be on. Yeah, right on. Uh, Morgan got a question for you, and I don't think he did. He asked the question, did you say the size of the football head jigs? So I do. So you can get them up to an ounce and as small as a quarter. Um, I won't throw the quarter in the football head. I'll actually just do a ball head because I do quarter ounce ball heads for my little swim baits and a bunch of other things. Uh, as soon as I get to the three eighths and up, I start doing the football heads. And uh, I, I like the half. Half's kind of my standard. You could fish it in, you know, 10 feet of water down to depending on what you're throwing it on down to 50 feet. Um, mm. That was something else I was going to talk about too, is throwing it on casting gear versus spinning gear, especially with the hula grub and an exposed hook. Uh, if I wanted, if I wanted to fish in say 20 to 50 feet of water on a casting rod, I am throwing the three quarter and even deeper than that. If I wanted to do that with a different fall rate and something a little bit more finesse, just cause it's not dropping so fast, I would move over to the half ounce and put it on a spinning rod on a 10 pound test. Uh, so something light. And then from there, you can still fish in that really deep water. Line's a little bit lighter, but again, you have an exposed hook and a good drag uh, and you don't have to hit them really hard, but you can get the same sensitivity with the lighter weight going to spinning gear. And so if the fish are really finicky, if they're not eating that three quartered out deep, uh, I'll move to the half and put it on a spinning rod. So I'm fishing the same depths, but if I have to pop that over something, it's going to fall slower and it's going to yeah. give them more chance to eat it. All right. Right on. Oh, here we go. New member, Greg. Thank you, my man. Uh, I will get that $10 gift card from Cass Cray coming your way. Thanks for kind of signing up to be a channel member. Uh, and I am going to, man, it's a lot of fun. If you guys don't know, like I have this channel membership thing is like my inner circle. So those who like super support and want to help with the direction of the YouTube channel, these are the people I lean into. I do polls. I do messages only that they get. So thank you, Greg. I know you've been around for a long time supporting the channel. Thanks for becoming a member. All right, back to um, some of the questions. Hey, cause this one comes from Bucktail Fishing. Um, do you Ned rig much at these depths? I don't. I don't like to personally, and that's just a, a me thing. I really hate finesse fishing. I've also, what I've caught my largest bass on has been on a drop shot. I still hate to do it. Um, I don't. I might downsize to the four inch hula grub, but I, I try not to. If it's a tournament situation, I'm really not getting bit. I'll try it, but if I don't get bit on that relatively soon, I'll go back to the hula grub. I just have way more confidence in it. 
So the Hula Grub's like, that's your confidence bait. Yeah, I would say so. I, I'm just when the bite is tough. I mean, uh, last year when we had the tournament up here on Shasta, it was hard, and a lot of people came in without limits. And the first mm. day. I came in with a halfway decent limit, and in the second day, everybody was struggling. And I ended up only putting four fish in the boat. My fifth fish ended up being a trout on the hula grub, of all things. And I broke off one other uh, bass. But when it's tough, I will put a jig in my hand. And I think the, the reason for that, in my opinion, is because I can feel everything going on down there. I can tell the what the bottom feels like or how the, uh, the contours are. If you, in my mind, if I get... If I'm dragging it, it's going tick, 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 and I get hung on something, I'm going to shake it. If it doesn't come over, I'm going to start to lift. If it still doesn't come over, I'm going to start shaking it. And as soon as you feel it come off that rock, I'm waiting for my bite. It's going mm. to drop, and you'll just get that dunk. Or if you don't, when you reel it to move it again next, it's just going to be weight or spongy, and that's it. And we all love the jig bites. I almost lost my rod relatively recently because one like shook my arm and hit so hard. But like that's what you want. You want to feel that tick or have them rip it off your, uh, out of your hand. But a lot of times it's just spongy. A lot of things it's not quite right. Especially yeah. with that heavy weight, you can tell when it's not quite right because you're not feeling anything. Right. No, makes sense. Makes sense. I like it. So keep walking us through because I think you've touched maybe like 30% of yeah. your jigs in front of you. <laughs> um, so keep but the spinning rod and the uh, casting rod, I would say just change your weights because if you're going to fish something finesseful, like like he was saying, this is kind of my negative. This is what I'm going to throw when it's hard. And dropping down the weight size will get you more bites if you okay. can, if you don't have the breeze. Uh, but going from there, you do have uh, different jig types. Uh, I mean, there's both football jigs, but you got a uh, silicone skirt versus a rubber skirt. The rubber skirt is going to have more action because the rubber skirt floats. When that hits the bottom, those are going to sit there and do this, where when this hits the bottom, the skirt tentacles are going to lay down. And you're still going to have some secondary action, but this, it's called living rubber for a reason. When it's down there, it's kind of undulating. If anything, if the bass comes up to it and stops, that water movement is going to still wiggle these. Yeah. So that's a big thing. With the living rubber, though, it is more buoyant. So where you're throwing a half-ounce jig uh, in a silicone, you might want to go to a three-quarter in your living rubber. Because this uh, this is a half-ounce, my mop jig, but I would fish this in like two to five feet of water when I was in the Delta because it falls so slow because it has all that buoyant material and a big trailer. Um, I have never thought of that before. Yeah, the, the living rubber never. is a big thing. You've also got – so this one's a uh, living rubber, and I'm going to try and show the camera – but the strands are a lot thinner, so you're going to get more movement, and it's going to sink faster than these uh, thicker-stranded rubber strands. Things so, to be on the lookout. Yeah, and I've got some like this one. You can't quite tell too much. This is a swim jig, but it's got silicone and living rubber, so they do have half and halves as well. So which uh, one, I mean, is there a price difference? You would think the living rubber uh, would be more, being that the action that it provides. No, I don't think I look. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I look at it honestly. Uh, I just buy them. Yeah. Not that I've noticed. Not something outrageous. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I would say for a lot of the fishing I do, a green pumpkin, um, or this one's actually like a sculpin color, and a green color or a brown color are my go-tos 99% of the time because your browns and your blacks are dark enough in dirty water that they still silhouette if you have just like a full brown, uh, where once you get to something like, like that sculpting color, they're not going to see it. So in the dark water, the browns, blacks, purples, if there's largemouth, uh, and then I know he's talking about Ned Rig. Everybody knows a PB&J Ned Rig. There's a, a PB&J jig. 
uh, again, more so for the spotted bass, but my color selection stays pretty simple unless, again, you start going towards fish and jig, uh, shad spawn, or if there's a lot of shad in your lake. If I'm on the bottom though, um, brown and green's my go-to. I keep it very, very simple. Nice. Now, typically are the reservoirs you fish, they're fairly clear then, I would imagine, if you're using these natural colors. Fairly. Right now, with all the snow and the rain that we've been getting, they're actually pretty dirty. And so, again, I'm probably going to go with that brown jig or a black jig. And on my trailer, I, I, again, stay pretty much green pumpkin, but I'll spike the tips. Put some chartreuse on there, maybe some orange. How do you spike them? Huh? What do you spike them? You got like a certain type of paint or something? Yeah, uh, the, the dip and glow sort of stuff. I actually like the pens because you can get like a four pack of different colored pens. Yeah. Yeah, something I never yeah. really thought of. Garlic flavor. Uh, and then depending on what you're fishing, obviously most jigs are going to have weed guards. If you can get away with it, don't throw a weed guard. You'll hook up way better. Again, you don't have to jack them so hard. You can really just sweep into them. So that's food for thought. Did you buy uh, those but, real quick? Did you um, – I don't I don't know if I've ever seen a jig without a weed guard, like a, all that hard plastic on there. Do you cut them off or do you buy them that way? Are they out there like that? I've done both. So this one, like I said, is a hand pour and the guy actually will make them with or without weed guards. Nice. Yeah. And right. there's some on the shelves like that as well. They're just a little bit less common, but if you take a pair of scissors and cut it really close, that works too. Yeah. All right. So do I see uh, some bladed jigs on there? We do definitely see bladed jigs. Uh, and real quick, before I get to those, uh, like I was saying with the mop jig, I will throw this if there's more largemouth, And then also as the spawns coming, they really want to feed on crawdads because the uh, shell is has a ton of minerals in there that help their eggs develop better so the, everybody's spring is orange because they're starting to feed up on crawdads and that's why the, the minerals in the shells actually help the eggs develop so the bigger meal you throw the bigger crawdad you throw the more nutrients they get so this is a great bed fishing bait it's great pre-spawn bait it's great if you have largemouth around if you're doing spots and smallies downsize that jig a bit um Sorry, sidetrack. <laughs> no, no sidetrack. This is good. Mainstream um, fishing says Beast Coast owner sniper jig has no weed guard. So that's something that you're interested in. You can go check one of those out. Sweet. Um, so bladed jigs, what were you getting at? Or just no, I really just, I, I, just <laughs> I, I think I saw some down there. And of course, you know, every, everybody right, loves the bladed jig. And everyone gets all riled up about the nuances of the blade mm -hmm. and the, the vibration and how fast that gets going or if it, or if it dies out. Um, mm -hmm. so you have, I think you've, you've shared with me that you've tested a lot of these even side by side on some of them love to get your take. So a lot of what I throw is Z man. Picasso is another great one. And then there's a, a few guys around here, uh, support a local guy, but a foolery fishing makes these guys. And these are a sweet little bait as well. And then there's uh, the guy who makes these big mop jigs. Uh, I don't even know if he makes them anymore, but uh, hooligan fishing, um, are just some smaller companies, but the Z-Man's generally what I fish, and I really like their standard one, like their regular good old-fashioned first chatterbait that came out, and then the Jackhammers. I will say that they are, I don't know if I'd say worth the price, but they are a good bait that really does get bit, and the cool thing about those is you can get them in bigger sizes. I have some of those up to an ounce and a quarter. Again, fishing deep water reservoirs, your chatterbaits are not just in the first few feet of water anymore. You could fish them down to 20 feet with those. So, uh, chatterbaits, I mean, we got shad, we got bluegill, we got overcast windy, windy days. It's, do you throw a spinnerbait or do you throw a chatterbait? Here, 
I throw a spinnerbait more. And that's just okay. me. I know I've got them out here. Um, again, coming from the Delta, I was so used to throwing them in grass or around structure or around some sort of cover. A lot of guys fish them like crankbaits around here on riprap and open banks, and it freaks me out. But now all our water's back up, and we've got, uh, obviously, boat docks to throw them at, and we're going to have water in the trees and stuff soon. And all that uh, grass that has been growing on shore, the weeds, I don't even know what they are. It's not an aquatic grass. It's a a weed that's died and so you've got these brown stems everywhere i'm going to throw them through that for sure because those fish get in there they come through everything really good they rip through everything really good and they just outright get eaten uh the big thing with chatterbaits is you want to make sure your blade the starts fast is one thing but as long as you can snap it and get it going i just hate when they stop all of a sudden mid fishing and they'll pick back up i want it chattering the whole time that would be my biggest thing why would it why would that happen you wouldn't think that it would I mean, obviously you're slowing it down, but is there a design flaw? Uh, Got it. I don't know. Honestly, I like them better with the standard like snap clip versus uh, some of these have, I mean, I don't think I can show you both at once. Some of them have that and I'm not a big fan of that. I really do prefer their standard snap style clip. Uh, I think it, it, I think it vibrates better. Got it. It doesn't get hooked up because of it. It doesn't seem to. No. I, I, the other one, every once in a while, you'll feel it like kink. Uh, and then they'll start back up again, or you'll have to pop them to start them back up again. But the uh, the original chatterbait does not seem to have that issue, and the uh, jackhammer doesn't either. And actually, there's also the thunder cricket, that one from Strike King. I've yeah. actually caught a ton of fish on the thunder cricket too. It's built around the same idea as the. Uh, I'm sorry, I keep spacing out. The jackhammer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you just went from the one you really like being a 499 lure to the the other one that was like a 1699 lure. You go both ways. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Um, one Kush one says, "Hey, thanks for that knowledge on the red crawl baits and why they want them." I know for I see sure. a ton, a ton of videos come across right about now on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Red, 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 orange, red, orange, 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 and no one can really explain why. Orange is going to be a little bit more dirty water. Red's going to be a little bit more clear water. Just food for thought. The orange stands out a little bit better in the mud water. Yeah. yeah. Generally, the, the rest of the year, I'm throwing a black and blue chatterbait for my dirty water situations. Uh, but right now with the spawn coming up, the, the reds and oranges can be really, really good. But if the water's, if the water's really clear, I'm still going to kind of tend towards a, more of a green pumpkin because that can pass as crawdad or bluegill. It's like I don't care what they want to eat as long as they eat it. Yeah, right. Uh, mainstream's got a question for you. The Berkeley. What about the slobber knocker? Tried that I haven't now? thrown it. I oh, haven't man. thrown it. I don't know about that one yet. I know a lot of Berkeley stuff that they're coming out with now is pretty sweet. So I like everything else. They'll catch fish, but I haven't used it yet. All right. Solid. If anybody else has used it, uh, give us your opinion or thoughts, um, pros, cons in the comments below. Um, we are at 55 minutes and I want to take us into a section. Well, everyone else, if you have a question for Matt, Go ahead and throw that in there. We'll come around. We'll come back around toward the end, and we'll answer those for you. But I am introducing a new segment tonight. All kinds of new stuff tonight. Um, we're gonna do underrated, overrated, and this is just an opinion piece, right? Um, <laughs> so I want to give give me your your thoughts on it. Um, since we're talking about bladed jigs, underrated, overrated jigs that cost fourteen dollars plus. Um. <laughs> I will say this. I got a buddy who is an absolute hammer on the Delta, and I believe he was throwing the original chatterbait. And this is one of those people, everybody's got their fish stories, but you know the person who you actually believe? Uh, He said he lost one about 16 at the boat because the hook opened up. 
as you get into the higher quality baits, you do get into higher quality hooks as well. So that's about all I can say for that. Not everything you pay $15 and up for is worth it, I don't think. But uh, there's a few of them out there that are definitely well worth it. Because if you how do... Many has he lost? How many has he lost? 16? No, 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 no. He lost a 16-pounder. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, on, I believe it was on the original Z-Man Chatterbait. And if you look at these versus the Jackhammer, I mean, that one's like a black nickel heavy deal hook where I bet, I mean, just for the sake of argument, I could bend this. So I just did that to my Z-Man original Chatterbait hook. Yeah. So That's not a lesson. That ten dollars not a lesson you want to you want to learn on a sixteen. I was gonna say uh, on tournament day or just in your heart. <laughs> or the first having your that life. happen at the boat, yeah. I mean yeah. that's a that's a sad day. So and I'm gonna get rid of this one now. It, it, once your hooks are bent, especially to a certain point, they're not worth it. They bend easier. Like I said, that's why you, with the frog hooks or even with these, you just do it just a tad and be cautious with how much you do it. If you bend it up, don't bend it back. Like don't start doing this; they will break on you. I, is I didn't lose it, and it's painful still. What you told me that story? Yeah, I think yeah. about it. Was it. it was in a tournament too that he was already obliterating everybody, and so he still ended up winning. But he's like, dude, I could have came in with that thing. Oh my gosh! All right, I always tell people spend an extra dollar, a couple extra dollars, get quality hooks in general. But um, that translates over into yeah. those prices. That's why they fetch those prices because it's uh, top notch quality. Yeah. yeah, it depends on the quality of your fish too. If you got you know, up to a five pounder, run it. I don't think it's yeah. going to matter. If you got a chance of hooking into one of those ones that'll make you lose sleep at night, uh, invest in the higher quality gear. Hey, solid advice. Thank you for that. I like it. Overrated, underrated, old town autopilot. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the good and the bad. Um, it's definitely, I wouldn't say overrated because it's an awesome boat. Uh, super comfy. Spot lock is awesome. The motor's placed far enough forward to where it acts like a bow mount trolling motor as far as mm. spot lock goes. Downside to it, if something happened to the motor, if your battery died, because I haven't really heard of anything happening to the motor, you have to paddle that thing. And that is another one that's going to be a barge to paddle. Uh, what's nice about motorizing some pedal drive kayaks is then you have the option of pedals or power. Uh, there's obviously more stuff in front of you. The autopilot do have great deck space. Like there's, you got tons of room for activities. So right. I can't say that it's overrated, but uh, if you're looking for something that's a little bit more boat like, or if you're like a tournament guy, all I'm doing for this is fish. Go for it. I mean, they're a sweet boat. It is a really mm -hmm. nice kayak. They got it set up very well. So properly rated is kind of your properly point. rated okay. again I, I wouldn't say one's better than the other that's really going to be the person the buyer who dictates that yeah what, what's right for one person is right for everybody but Thank it's you. a sweet boat all right all right underrated overrated glide baits i saw that you guys sell the s waiver and everyone's like i feel like everyone their mother's buying glide baits now um uh, give me your thoughts not underrated. Oh, no, no, not overrated. Sorry. Okay. I missed both. Uh, glide baits are awesome. I will say, depending on the glide bait you get, you have to, I wouldn't say do modification, but let's say the S waiver right now. Um, from their original ones to the ones that they have now, they've souped up the split rings and the hooks, and they swim different. So if you take one of your S waiver, if you bought an S waiver in a store now and put a little bit lighter wire hooks on it, they actually swim better, but you might have to get some of those sticky little lead tape pieces to adjust how it sits. But um, I, I 
my favorite S waiver is one of the original ones because it just flat out catches more fish. So don't think that everything on the market's perfect. Tweak it a little bit, play with it. Because if it seems like it's swimming wrong, it's like, why does everybody like these? It just swims funny. There's a reason it swims funny. Take the time and you know do a little trial there, go on YouTube, Google, uh, see about it. But especially on S waivers, I would uh, downsize my hooks because they come with like three X hooks on them. Go to a one X. Uh, and buy that uh also too there's some baits that have it i think they uh the shine glide from savage gear that is a super underrated bait uh it's a bigger profile uh if you've seen them they kind of taper it's not quite like a bluegill shape but it's not slim like the s waiver is that thing absolutely gets crushed um they have a smaller hook but it's still a stout hook and they swim great i will say their tail fault or my tail fell off so i've heard of a few people having that issue but they still eat it without the tail <laughs> Interesting. All right. Yeah, well, well, all depends on the glide bait. Uh, the Stormarashi. Pick one of those up. They're awesome. All right. All right. All right. Let me see here. I'm going going back to the questions. We're going to finish off our time together. Um, let's see. I, I gotta read something. <laughs> I like read the trailers or swim jigs. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just gonna have to have you on again because all right. you're like a wealth of knowledge, and I love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Let me see here. All right. Going through some questions. The final questions here. Um, here we go. Lost and tackle. Best budget glide bait, in your opinion? I would still say the uh, – oh, actually, I'd probably say the Shine Glide. It's a little bit bigger profile, so definitely if you have uh, more largemouth. But um, I would say that or the S Waiver. Okay. And then the Arashi is uh, just under 40 bucks, so it depends what your budget is. But any of those three, three would be a great place to start. And I definitely suggest starting with the, with the S Waiver. I believe it's the 168. They're like standard size. Everything eats that. I've caught a ton of smallmouth spots. Caught my largest spot on it, and tons of uh, largemouth as well. Nice. Uh, and he's not joking, guys. He was sending me some photos because I asked him to send me some for the uh, for the thumbnail and catching some launches. Those things are massive. Every every fish too. It wasn't like oh here's largemouth bass. Here's a largemouth bass. You were like putting up multi-species monsters. That's been over the last few years, so. It's it's piled up. We've all got our stashed fish picks. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, Python Dad says love the shine glides. So that one's uh, underrated. Underrated. There we go. There we go. Um, got a couple more questions here. This one comes in from Bofin Junkie. Have you ever worked with or used the Wilderness Systems Helix PD or the motor drive for the radar? I have not. That is not something that I've got to play with. I know one of the reps, which take it with a grain of salt, he really likes it and he does a lot of ocean fishing with the radar. Uh, so if he's confident to be out there, you know, two, three miles with it, I would be very confident in that drive. I haven't done any maintenance. I haven't had anybody bring me one for maintenance. Uh, so with that, that should be a good sign, but right. I'm not familiar with the boats. I haven't used them. Right. All right. Uh, Python dad, uh, for the, you said it was definitely underrated. He's like, I pulled up whole wolf packs of five to six pounders on the Magnum shine glides. Um, never heard say, of <laughs> wolf packs. I love it. <laughs> oh yeah. That's uh, when you get like a school of four five, oh, six, yeah. seven, eight bass that follow it and won't eat it. Keep a Senko backed up. Cause I've done very well. They followed in, throw a Senko at them or a light jig. Love it. And I think I got one more question for you. Uh, this one comes from Emery. Emery, this is the first time you uh, showed up tonight. So thanks for the thanks for the question. He said, I'd like to add a few jackhammers to my arsenal. Any recos where I get started on any trailers that you like? So my tried and true. So basically, if it's not a shad, I'm throwing a rage craw. 
like that is my tried and true green pumpkin rage craw. Again, I'll, I'll change the tips, uh, maybe a little bit of orange or chartreuse. They're really only two colors. I'll spike it, but rage craw would be my number one go-to trailer for, uh, really any, any chatterbait, my blacks and blues, all of it. Um, green pumpkin rage crop. If you're doing a shad presentation, there's a ton of different things you could use, but if you don't want to go out and buy new trailers, uh, if you got a shad color Senko, clip a five inch Senko down a little bit and the chatter that the blade puts off because oh, those Senkos are so yeah. soft radiates and quivers through there. So you're not getting this big wiggling kick action, but it gives your uh, bait a little bit more bulk and it really transmits that vibration through that really soft bait and you get this really nice quiver and it works great. They don't last long. You'll go through a few Senkos, but save the tip for Ned Rick. All right, right on. Um, Scott had a question here. I'm not sure if I understand it. Vertical or horizontal? Um, Scott, uh, be, maybe he's talking about the line tie for the jigs. Oh, I've there got, you go. Uh, wait. I do. I uh, Here we go. I've got both vertical and horizontal. I haven't really thought about it that much. I throw them both and I catch fish on both. I don't have a preference. Sometimes it's nice if you could find them where the uh, eye of the hook is recessed. I do think that helps for your knot. Well, folks tonight you might have to watch this one over again because there was an incredible amount of experience shared tonight and matt thank you so much yeah no problem thanks for, for having me it. next time uh hopefully we can talk about swim jigs those ones are my favorite <laughs> gotta have you on again because there's a lot of things we could have gone deeper on um like sometimes i don't realize here's a, here's a here's a cool thing right so a lot of times people are like oh you you know all the named people right in youtube um but there's a lot of guys out there and girls who know their stuff, right? It might not have huge followings. You're a perfect example of that. Um, one of my favorite shows is the stuff that you're bringing to the table. You're not out there making content. You're out there honing your skills. Um, I so, try to do that. I hate editing. <laughs> That's right. If I record anything, you get like a maybe a minute clip of something cool happening. That's about as much as I can give. Right. Well, where can people find you or reach out to you or if they need to get a hold of you? Definitely. Uh, so I definitely recommend checking out uh, Headwaters Adventure Company on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Matt Mandu. That's why it says Mandu, uh, even though it's got three. A lot of people think that's my last name. But yeah, uh, Instagram is best way to get in contact with me. And then if you have any kayak or fishing questions, feel free to call the shop here in Reading or uh, send us an email or uh, do it on Messenger or Instagram. Uh, those are the best ways. And we're happy to talk about kayaks if you're just buying your first one or even getting into a new one. And we got fishing gear here too. And it's obviously going to be different fishing than where you're at. But there's a few things that, you know, span the board and work everywhere. For sure. Hey, well, we ship kayaks. Say what? We ship kayaks. So oh, right on. Need one. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, pretty much like 200 bucks flat anywhere. All right. Solid. Solid. Crappy Cat says, great show. Great podcast. Um, some more encouragement over here. Jeff, super show. Morgan great content that's all you matt thank you so much thank for, you i appreciate it for bringing the heat tonight um guys we'll see you next week next week we got debo's fishing on so you don't want to miss that one so next tuesday night 8 30 p.m eastern thanks for showing up for those of you on the podcast thank you so much for listening through we'll see you all next week <laughs>